0: Podcast series discussing alcoholism and the effect on mental health. Music by Kevin McLeod. What shall we start with? Shall we start with sort of the family dynamic? Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: we can, we can start from there. Um, because uh-huh. as soon as I hit 10 years old, that's when the story really starts. That's when the yep. abuse started and then boom. Yeah. So my, well, I do have a brother. I have a brother, a half-brother, and I have two stepbrothers. Uh-huh. So it was me, my dad, and my mom. My mom walked out when I was four years old. Okay. So when I was four, she left and it was just me and my dad for yeah. about two years. Then as two years later, that's when he started to date somebody who then moved in. She then became my stepmom because they got married in South Africa. So my stepmom's yeah. family from South Africa. Uh-huh. And then they got married over in Durban. I was the best man. I think I was, I was nine years old when they okay. got married. So, born in West London. Yeah, I was born in in um, Queen Charlotte's Hospital, which isn't there anymore, and, and good old Hammersmith. Oh, and yeah. then I went to uh, I went to. I'm an actor, so oh, I've been really? an actor since cool. a child. Yeah, yeah. So I studied mm-hmm. acting at school, at college, university.
0: So, any any famous roles?
1: <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. No, I I have a big theatre background. Yeah, and I've moved into tv and film over the last two years i was on this is not act well it's arguable whether it's acting or not but i was on a dating show on tv trust me there was some there was some acting from my part <laughs> <laughs> i'll tell you that much mm-hmm. um then the then i was on sky crime world's most evil killers i played a murderer that oh, was interesting yeah. yeah i played a murderer who who uh, adopts women holds them a knife point rapes them and
0: kills them um, <laughs> just, just yeah just a
1: disclaimer that was acting that was in real life
0: and yeah. <laughs> that was fun so, let, let's go back to your childhood uh, what sort of age were you
1: I was 10 years old when when it started I would go around I had a very strong bond with my nan so my dad's blood mum and they lived about 15 minutes walk away from where we lived so I'd go there quite often I'd always go there with somebody though whether it be right. my cousin who is 33 now, so she's four, five, six, seven years older than me, but she's practically my sister, kind of yeah. grew up together. And I'll go around there quite frequently. Now, my stepgranddad, so my dad's nice husband, we had, a, we had a relationship. He would take me down to the pub. He was a drinker. They're both drinkers, both alcoholics. Yeah. He would take me down to the pub. He would buy me a Diet Coke and a bag of crisps whilst we played pool. He would drink his Guinness or his ales because he's Irish. He hmm. loves his Guinness. and. What we what we know that as is a form of, well, to be honest, it's not a form of grooming if sexual abuse doesn't occur. It's just a relationship between a grandson and his granddad, right? Yeah. But he used that as a way to make me believe when he started to sexually abuse me, to make me yeah. believe that that was just a form of love, a form of expression from him. That was just different from any other family member. Sure, it was odd, but my dad didn't do that to me because that's not the way he wanted to project love onto me. That's what
0: I thought as a 10-year-old kid. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. When did the first occurrence happen? What what happened around that? Uh, I was. This was
1: most of the times it happened. Not all of them. Most of the times that it happened, it was I would be sitting on his lap. He would ask me to sit on his lap oh. I was watching. Tell so ten year old sitting on his lap watching TV, and he would put his hand on my pants, and he would just play with me. Um like, I remember, it was the first time. First time he'd done it. I remember looking up at him, and he just smiled at me and just put his finger to his lips, like shh, right. And I was like, okay, but I not I just, I think I just, it just didn't click. If it was a stranger or, or a family friend, then maybe I would have been like, okay, this is odd. But this is somebody who's been in my like, he's been in there since I was born, practically. Yeah. So, didn't really see anything of it. But that was the first time that it happened.
0: Was he actually drunk at this point?
1: Um, or it it both? was, yeah, it was both. It was both. He he, which I'll go into later. I wasn't the only one who you who abused and it would be a mixture of who would be sober who would be he'd be he'd be drinking yeah So it's definitely a mixture of both
0: how uh, how often was it may I ask
1: it would be not every time i went around there hmm. maybe every second or third time i'd go around and i might go around once or twice a month so yeah. it happened over the course of about a year and a half quite you know quite a few times maybe 10 to 15 times or something
0: did anyone sort of tweet that something wasn't right between you and your granddad or was it uh, nobody guessed
1: anything because there wasn't nobody saw anything until because here's the thing he would sometimes do it with people in the room sometimes there's nobody in the room yeah now on the, the last time it happened which is the reason why it stopped it was in the living room i was on his lap but my mum my stepmom was sitting on a sofa opposite and he had his arm over the sofa. He was smoking because he he's a very big roll-up cigarette smoker. And yeah. his cigarette dropped onto the floor. My stepmom was like, "Why is he not picking it up? He's burning a hole into the carpet." And she looks up, and his hand's down my pants.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And then she was like, "Geez, you know." And then yeah. she she got out of the room. She called me out. She's trying to figure out what to do. Then she takes me home, and then she tells my dad, and then my dad questions me, and he's like, "Right, you're not going back around there. You know, you're not allowed around there again." And then two years later, he passed away then I started to go back around there and see my, see my
0: nan again. That must have had some sort of effect on the mental health side of you growing up. Uh, it,
1: it, did, it did later on. Yeah. So because I remember like when my dad found out about what happened, he said, I can't go around there. I remember getting pissed at him, right? right. Because he wasn't letting me go around anymore. I, I didn't, I lacked the, emotion, the um, emotional maturity. I lacked the awareness around what it was. Yeah. 16 years ago, sexual abuse wasn't a thing on the news. It no, wasn't in absolutely. the papers. Yeah. So I had no idea. I thought my dad was being an idiot. I just being a strict parent, right? Now, about two years goes by, and I'm at school, and I'm in class, we're in English class, and the English teacher sets an assignment for all the students in the class to write a story on a piece of paper at the end of the class we hand it in. Huh. I don't remember doing any of this. Literally, this is <laughs> this is a story for my stepmom. Apparently, yeah. so when kids are in class, you know, the, my mates, they're all writing stories about maybe it's comic books or when we were writing stories about something they've seen on TV. Perry Power here writes a story around about his sex grand uh, his step-granddad sexually abusing him. Right. Wow. And I hand it in as if it was nothing. Right? Wow. So then so then the school contacts my parents, my dad goes ape shit, because when when my dad found out originally, so when my, my son my went home, my dad told me to keep it a secret. Because goes, Don't go and tell anybody, keep a living it. Right. Yeah. He just didn't want me telling anybody because he didn't want a black cloud over the family name. They um. don't want to think power, family, sexual abuse. He didn't want that link. So then, yeah. <laughs> so what do I do? I go to school and write a story, give it into the teacher. And that's, yeah. that. and I don't want to say the worst thing you can do, but when somebody wants to keep it a secret, like my dad did, telling the school, which means social services, which means people coming in, like what the hell is going on? Basically, what they ended up doing, was assigning me to a school counselor so i had a therapist all throughout school that i saw every yeah. single week some weekends i saw her on a weekend she really helped uh, her name's anthea she's she's actually ha- ha- happened to be south african as well huh. and that was amazing but the mental health side of it that started when i was 16 17 years old that's when it kicked in that's because growing up in london i was a virgin i didn't have to talk to girls and i was shy yeah i was very very introverted I, right. I didn't have many guy mates because I, I wasn't confident enough to 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 be this yeah, lad around. Yeah, you know what it. I mean? I was very very much in my shell. And I remember my nan passed away, so my dad and his sister sold the nan's house. They split the money half and half, and then with the, with the money that my parents got, they're like, "Well, we're going to move out of London and move to Bracknell in Berkshire to get yeah. a house for that money." Sure. If, you, if you're in London, you can you know, yeah, that's cleaner, basically, it, basically, yeah. right? So we moved out to Berkshire. Now I remember. I was like okay i'm finishing the rest of my college because uh, i used to go to richmond college right yeah and i'm like right i moved to bracknell college it's like so i'm going here nobody knows me because uh, nobody knows me i can i'm an actor create a character so i was like as soon as i walk through those college doors i'm going to be the perry power who slept with loads of girls he's going to be like somebody out of american pie all mm-hmm. of the guys like him as a lad he's a center of attention he's very extroverted he's very confident and I and i and i rocked it i became that person everybody believed it i faked it till i made it until those things became real and then i it it felt great right i was you know the ego was high and everything is all good until uh lewis Howes brings out a book called mask and masculinity have you heard of it
0: vaguely somewhere in the back of my mind
1: yeah so he, he just talked so he was abused when he was younger and he talks about all these masks that he wore throughout life the alpha male mm. mask, the, the womanizer mask, the, the athlete mask. That you want to be good at sports because you're a man, right? Mm. You can't be going to singing classes. You got to be on a football field. And he talked about all these masks. And then when he spoke about the womanizer mask and the alpha male mask, he was on the Ellen DeGeneres show. Mm-hmm. I was 21 at this point, and literally slapped me in the face. It's like that's what I've been doing. Yep. Yeah, sure, I created a character, but what I was really doing was applying these masks. and I was wearing so many different masks that my authentic self, the, 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 my identity, the, the abused guy was yep. pushed so far down because I was so scared of showing that person. And then because that awareness then kicked in, that's when the mental health started kicking in. Because so I was like, well, hold on a second. Yeah, okay. The weight of the abuse was actually really bad. I must have enjoyed that as a kid. Why would I have gone on about it for a year and a half? I'm to blame. I hate myself. You know what I mean? Oh, and yeah. that's really when the mental health kicked in.
0: Yep, I know that one. So you're now at this point where you suddenly realize that something's not right and you're portraying this character. Did you actually go and seek help at that point?
1: So I was at that point, I was two years into entrepreneurship. I was two years into personal development. And it was at that point where I was like, okay, I'm going to go on a self, self, self-awareness journey. I'm going to read the right books. I'm going to read um, about how I'm not my thoughts. And it, right then, it was a journey of me helping myself through self-help and it was that t- so that time that day when about when i re- watched that interview rip my mask off i was like well, how am i actually going to do this i was like how am i actually going to take these masks off i was like well i know that my next step needs to be the hardest step because like, okay guess so i was dating somebody at the time now when i was at college and i was this player right and i say that with quotations when i was this player there was this girl uh, my ex who i started dating And like all of her friends were like, oh, you're you're the one who got Perry. You're the one who who got the player, right, and secured him. So like, that was like the the thing. So then when I was like, right, I need to tell her when she gets back from work that that guy, that player that she secured was a fraud. Right, I slept with one girl before her, right? I was like, I need to, and that goes against all of my ego as a man. And I was like, I need to tell her and then tell her about my abuse. Anything else I want to put in there, right? And I was fully prepared for her to walk away. 100% I was pre- pre- prepared for her that day to leave, right? we was about four years into the relationship. And, but the thing is, and I came to this realization recently, is that even though I thought that, I still, went, I still went forward with sharing that to her because, and I say this a lot, the consequences of living in silence far outweigh the consequences of breaking the silence. And I just couldn't live in silence any longer. So I wanted to break it. So then I went out on that walk
0: and then I told her, and that is a very, very key point, is that a lot of people were suffering silence. How did your girlfriend sort of react to it, may I ask?
1: She, at first, was very shocked. Very. Like, she just went silent. And I was like, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> just say it. right?" And then, uh, and then she, she came to the realization, and what I think happened was the dots in her head connected as to why I reacted like that, So to why I put on those masks when I told her about the abuse. And then yeah. she just welcomed me with open arms. And it was in that moment where I realized, wow, that the lens that I've been looking at the world through, this external world where everybody would just outcast me if they knew about the abuse, they would laugh at me, they'll say that I was lying, right? That that was just a reflection of my internal world that isn't actually what was going on because her reaction shattered that illusion of this external world that I was viewing. Yeah. So then when that happened, like people say, like, did you just go on and start sharing, 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 sharing after? I didn't, because what I what I wanted to do then was like, okay. This is the first time in my life I've allowed myself to confront my story. I've broken my silence to one person. I want to now confront my story. I want to face the thoughts that are coming through. I want to own the thoughts, own the feelings and see where I go with it. It was about a year after that. My dad told me to watch a film called Spotlight. The so Spotlight is a movie that won. It's got um, Michael Keaton in it. Um, he's one of the main actors and um, Mark Ruffalo. It's about Boston journalists in 2001 from the Boston Globe about how they uncover a basically a child sex um, molestation ring in the Catholic church system between the Catholic oh. priests and all the kids there. It won Best Picture, it won Oscars. Yeah. It was a fantastic film. So he told me to watch it. Now I'm watching it and I could relate to, to elements of it because of the sexual abuse, yeah. but I, I didn't really relate to the Catholic church system story of it until my dad drops a bombshell we're in a car and then he says to me have you seen spotlight i says yeah he goes when you're at the end of the film before the credits come up they give you it starts off with uh churches in the u.s and it gives you all the places around the world with reported cases of child molestation um via catholic priests hmm. and i said yeah and he goes well where your step grew up in cork and island oh. is listed in that movie wow uh, yeah. and then i was like and I, I'm just looking at my dad. I'm like, okay, what? I was like, okay, so that explains it then. And when I said that, he he just went bolo. He's like, what do you mean that explained? It doesn't it doesn't explain anything. He got really heated. And I, I didn't understand his reaction even in that moment. He then gets out of the car, stands a car door shut. Now, bear in mind, my dad from from um 2014, my dad became an alcoholic, right? He yeah. wasn't he it, it wasn't the case where he was an alcoholic all of his life, n- not by any means. My dad was very, you know, he was a man's man. He's taking care of the family. You know, he was rock solid. And then 2014 came around roughly around that time. Then the drinking turned from weekend drinking to weekday drinking, then at home drinking to in the car drinking. And I was and his all he would drink was vodka. And it was just boom, 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 like a bloody water for him. And so like that time then when he told me about the film, he was in his car and he was having a drink in his car. Then he leaves. And then I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking about it. I'm trying to put the, the dots together, right? Now, about a year after that, so 2017, in oh. January, my dad became a diabetic, right? So he, he started drinking more than his, his blood pressure yeah. went through the roof. He was on high blood pressure tablets. Then he became diabetic in January. Five months later, I get a call and he's dropped dead from a heart attack. Um, and, and he was only 48 years old. And that was the first oh. of June, 2017. So then I go through my grieving process. And then it dawns on me I'm like, my dad's. You're not born an alcoholic, you're not born a racist, you're not born, right. born to rape kids, That's it. right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's 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 something, it's a it's a coping mechanism, it's a reaction from wounds that haven't healed yet. And I'm thinking, right. why, why did my dad become an alcoholic? There's a reason for it, right? Mm-hmm. A week before he passed away, he came around to my house, he was drunk, just had an argument with my stepmom at home. He leaves and I text him saying, Why are you drinking so much? And then he just literally sends one text back saying to fight away the inner demons. Now, I was like, and I, I found out my stepmom and she's like, what in the demons is he talking about? At, at that time, we had no idea what he's talking about. We thought he was just trying to, you know, just trying to yeah. get attention. So I was trying to figure stuff out. And now I go to a business mastermind conference, right? Because at that time I ran a, an online fitness business. And then, uh, and then when I was there, there's four people there. That was the second time that I broke my silence. And I told those four people and I had the same reaction. And I'm driving home. And then when I'm driving home, I'm like, I want to share my story again. So I get a video, my phone out, put a video on Facebook. And it was actually from that video, like we were talking at the beginning of this about um, did anybody find out about the abuse? Like who was there? And I said to you about my stepmom catching it. When they when they caught they spoke to me about it from catching it. I only told them as a child for some reason that that was the only time that it happened. I never told them that it went on for a year and a half prior to my stepmom seeing it in that living room. Huh. So when I talked about it on that video, my whole family then find out what it was going on for that long. We didn't know about that. And then I go around to a family member's house and then that's when everything clicked into place because this particular family member tells me that it wasn't just me that was sexually abused. It wasn't just my cousin and Kelly, she's, her story's in my book. She, she's getting her story out of wow. hmm. it, which is great. But it was also this family, so the family member who's saying it, she was like, it's also me and it was also your dad. Oh my word. Yeah, so my dad grew up <laughs> being sexually abused by him. He lived in silence. So that's why he told me to keep it a secret. When I said to him, that explains why he'd done that in the car. When talking talking about Spotlight, his reaction then, that explains that. Because, I, because when he heard that, I was saying, oh, dad, that explains why you abused you, didn't it? But my dad was living in hate. He was living in denial and, yeah. and in a place of unforgiveness. And when I realized that, I was like, there is a big generational cycle of abuse here.
0: When, when did you actually sort of get to that point and think, actually, I'm going to tell my story. It's all right.
1: That was when I found forgiveness. I remember after I put that video up, Talking about my dad, a friend of mine watched it and he goes, You're not you you haven't found forgiveness yet with your dad's death, have you? And I said, No. I said, I, I blame him for being an alcoholic. You know, we sent him to AA meetings. He went to the first one or two, lied about uh-huh. going to the rest, which makes sense because my dad, again, he's a very proud man. So him going to an AA meeting, what's that doing? That's him admitting to himself that he has a problem. Uh-huh. Right? You're talking about your, your mum earlier. That's admitting yeah. that you yeah. that you have a problem. And that's like suicide to them, right? Absolutely. Especially if he's a proud man. He said to me, He goes, um, My mate who reached out to me, he goes, his dad passed away the year prior. And he goes, The way he got through that was through forgiveness. So he recommended me doing the same. So I found forgiveness towards myself, towards my dad. I was like, Okay, that's what's charm. I need to do the same thing for the abuse, right? So I, I forgave myself for not speaking out as a child and I forgave myself for everything in regards to me. And I was like, But here's the thing, right? I was like, If I move forward, then i see a picture of him or i get reminded of what happened i won't be hating myself but i'm still gonna be hating him because i haven't forgiven him and i was like but that's not i'm not okay with that right and i say to a lot of people like forgiving your abuser is not anything it's nothing to do with them it's everything to do with you because you're too beautiful courageous and amazing of a human being to still be held back by that person's chains that guy was dead in the ground right when i was 14 but he still had a hold over me. It's not letting him off the hook. It's not giving him get out of jail free card. So I was like, I'm going to forgive him. Now, the way that I did forgive him, I was like, how can I forgive him? For me, and you know, this isn't like the, the perfect rule to find forgiveness, but it worked for me. And that was to find awareness on his story. So I asked questions um, uh, to, my, to my auntie, who used to be very close with my step-sisters. Uh, and she told me, that's while well, your step-granddad with his brother grew up in and Island they went to an orphanage and in this orphanage the priests there would chain them up to the stairs they would rape them whip them and that was part of the um part of the um what's the word like a uh, initiation, yeah, initiation yeah initiation the punishment yeah. yeah the culture and then the two sisters because there's, there's five kids but when the mom died, the oldest one didn't have to go into schooling. So the two brothers went to an orphanage run by the priests, all males one. Then the two sisters went to a female one run by nuns. And then the nuns used to physically abuse all of them. One of the women and one of the sisters, she's deaf in one ear because of how much she used to get beat across the side of the head because from the nuns. So when I understood all of this, I was like, makes sense. I said, my step-granddad got sexually abused. He grew up, he lived in silence, and he inflicted the same pain onto him, onto yeah. others. My dad was sexually abused growing up. He lived in silence. He didn't inflict the pain onto others, but he inflicted it onto himself. I'm like, I'm not fucking going down the same path. I'm to yeah. break that generational cycle so yeah. I don't pass that shit onto my kids and I'm going to help other people do the same. That's powerful, that.
0: What sort of advice would you give to people to actually go down the forgiveness route?
1: I mean, I, there's probably a whole host of things, but two things come into my mind there is one is trying to ask as many questions as you can and try to find out about that person's story so that if we're going to, for the sake of conversation the abuser. Find out about the abuser's story, whether whether you need to ask people that you know, ask people that you don't know that's connected, that's in the middle of both of you. But ask questions about a person's story, just so for a second you can try to understand as to why that person acted in the way that they acted. And then it's about, for me, it's about acknowledging the things that happened that would otherwise make you angry or like how dare that person done that to me, but acknowledge it. And then trace it back to, okay, well, they've done that. So, for example, my set granddad abusing me, right? Okay, well, he abused me because he was abused and he has some huge wounds that were open and he took that out into me. And now I feel sorry for him. I feel bad for him because he never yeah. got the help that he did. And uh, trying to, you know, finding that sympathy in that person, which is the hardest thing to do, right? And I get that for survivors, but trying to find that sympathy for that person, I, like it takes me away from. That person's hold. It's, it's almost as if like I'm looking down, and it sounds a bit weird, but it's like I'm looking like down on them, like oh, I'm, I'm so sorry that you went through that. Rather than looking up at this abuser, because you're still overpowering me. I'm right. now taking myself away from that person, understanding it, and then just sympathizing, that I'm saying I'm so sorry. And then letting go. And then that's the last thing is letting go. It's right. So it's acknowledging, taking in the emotions, finding the awareness around that person's story, and then just mm-hmm. letting go. And then keep on doing that. And then you won't have to let go.
0: Uh, very soon because you've already done it have your family have they got to that stage yet uh no (laughs) no no (laughs) just no (laughs) uh,
1: yeah no my my one of my family members whose name i haven't mentioned she is she she won't say she is but she is an alcoholic she won't she won't get help she still lives with her story and and that's because there's blame there and that's because she knew in her head if she would, if she were to spoke out yeah. about it and get him done, then my dad wouldn't have been abused because she was the first person to be abused by him in us in our family. Because uh, yeah. she kept a lid on it, mm. she has the blame. If I spoke out, not only would um my dad not not have been done, but my cousin wouldn't have been done. I wouldn't have been done. So I know she sits with that blame, mm. and she puts that into into drink.
0: Yeah,
1: my cousin, she's she's. I think a lot of times she tries to not think about it, but something crazy happened. though this weekend just gone. So yep. I knew that with my story getting out there more and more and more into the media, I knew that there would be a point where my stepgranddad's family, who we don't talk to for at least sixteen years, if we haven't spoken to them, would see it and reach out to me. And I would—I was expecting the worst. Like, how dare you? I can talk about yep. our <laughs> dad like that or whatever. Something. At the beginning of this month, I get a message on Facebook. Hey, Perry, um, you won't remember me, but I'm—I'm I'm your step-granddad's insert um family role and, and as soon as i read that i was like my everything just closed in right i didn't even read the rest of the message i was like no come on, pick up the phone pick up the phone if it's the worst case they don't want to sue you if they want to do whatever they think they can just take yep. it and i look at it and I'm like just to let you know our entire family which is his family our entire family supports your message and we back you because he abused all of them too
0: Wow, and he got away with it for that long. And he got
1: away with it. Oh
0: my god.
1: We met up with two of the family members. They're both sisters. We met up with both of them, me and my cousin Kelly. We met up with them in London. We yeah, we shared, we laughed, we cried, we spoke about all of the things. They were telling us about the orphanage that my second grew up in, and they were telling us about the abuse that they sustained. Yeah. And about how they lived in silence. And they're just telling me to shout from the rooftops. And that's just a crazy development within the story.
0: One last question. If you had any advice for anybody that's suffering, what would it be?
1: It would be, honestly, and this is everything that I stand for. And that's, that's the movement of hashtag greater silence. The first thing I always say is to get a therapist. I mm-hmm. believe that every single person on the entire planet, right? Whether they think they have problems or whether they think they don't have problems, should have a therapist. The stigma needs to be taken away from therapy everybody yep. should have one it's like meditating when you're when you're frustrated right it's like you should meditate all the time so the frustration doesn't come so that's the same thing with uh, with therapy now that side so yes get therapy that aside that's that's like an obvious one uh the other thing is breaking the silence now i'm doing a tedx talk on saturday exactly around this and it, the, the tedx talk the theme of it is around new angles and it's about pe- when people living in silence and they think of break the silence in, in their head, is to speak out. I'm breaking the silence. I'm going to speak out and tell somebody. Huh. But that can force somebody to stay in silence because that is an, that's Mount Everest that they've got to climb, right? And they just huh. can't do that. as step one. So the awareness that I would like to bring for somebody who's suffering in silence is that all you need to do first is break the silence to yourself. Now, how do you do that? That can be journaling it. That could be It could be saying it, and this is saying it out loud, but you're saying it in the mirror to yourself. OK, yeah. because word has powerful um, words are very powerful. Um, and another one it could be choreographing a dance, it could be clay molding, it could be knitting, it could be hitting a punching bag. And these all sound very weird, but we need to realize is that when you live in a silence, you are locking your emotions into a closed box that are all trauma related from what happened. And it's all about expressing those emotions. Like another one I, I speak out quite often is, um, you know, when we see paintings, you see uh-huh. paintings where it looks like the artist has just thrown paint yeah. onto it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it'll have like a half a million price tag to it. You're like, give me <laughs> some <laughs> and do this, right? Yeah. 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 But how do you not know that that artist just broke 18 years worth of silence? And her throwing that paint onto that canvas is possible. Because I, I know artists, I know artists that has that, 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 happened. It's about breaking the silence to yourself. And then let step number 500 be you telling somebody else instead of making that the first step so so we got um my book now i run a i run a charity called we rescue kids there's me and two other co-founders and what we do is we provide therapy to child survivors of sexual abuse and whoever wants to sponsor a child they'll get uh, monthly updates from the therapist on how that child is doing over the course of 12 months and my book called breaking the silence is split into three parts so you've got part one is my story breaking my silence Part two of the book, there's 14 stories in there of other survivors of sexual abuse. Half of them are named, half of them are unnamed. Then the last page of part two says your story. So the person who's reading the book, they're living in the silence, they grab a pen and they write their story into the book so they become the 15th survivor. Wow. And then part three of the book is called Your Story. And it's the steps that you can take with questions and exercises to get, bring you to the place of breaking the silence. So that book is on Amazon. It, uh, all profits of that book goes to the charity too feel free to go and grab a copy and what's it called again breaking the silence breaking the silence that's it uh, i really appreciate your help it's very yep. generous thank you for your time
0: yeah you're more than welcome have a great day sir yes,